the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, January 26, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 322 and 323. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. We'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two Big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, will be joining us. Former Ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, will be here as well. Indiana Congresswoman, Victoria Sparks, will be joining us. Podcast host, Monica Crowley, will be here. And the House Republican Chair, Elise Stefanik, will be making her Steak for Breakfast debut. Lots of breaking news. Donald Trump scored a huge and historic victory in New Hampshire earlier this week. We've got all the highlights. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's showdown with the Biden regime has passed the deadline. We'll bring you the latest. The RNC apparently is getting behind Donald Trump in his primary battle with Nikki Haley. We'll bring you all the developments going on with that. And the battle over the border security and pre-amnesty package rages on. We'll do a little comprehensive coverage there. But before we get into any of our headlines, let's take it over to the Empire State and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here as well. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we're out in the Empire State with the Congresswoman who represents New York's 21st District in the U.S. House of Representatives. She also sits as the House Republican Conference Chair. Ms. Elise Stefanik, welcome to the show, and happy Friday. Great to be with you, Roan. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, the pleasure is all ours. We have been tracking you for a long time. We actually... Uh, had the opportunity to play a couple clips of yours on our on our last edition of the show because you were out on the trail with Donald Trump in New Hampshire, uh, stumping with the 45th president as he uh, cleaned up pretty well there. Uh, but before we jump into some of the campaign stuff and, and, and a lot of the items we want to touch on on Capitol Hill, we want to kind of, uh, because it's your first time joining us, have you introduce yourself to our listenership a little bit. We obviously know you're, you're America first. You've taken some really hard votes this year to, you know, promote the America First agenda and make sure that not only your district, but the rest of the country is being represented when you vote up on Capitol Hill. And uh, it's not an easy thing. Sometimes, especially when you're in House leadership or, or committee chair, you, you tend to side with the majority. And that necessarily hasn't been the case with you by any means. It seems like you've kind of uh, got dialed in what the American public needs right now. It's definitely a lot of things we're lacking with Joe Biden in office. And uh, we would kind of want to hear your take on how you see things right now and, and, and where you're kind of at right at this point up on Capitol Hill. Sure. So I am proud to serve in my fifth term as the representative for New York's 21st congressional district. I was born and raised in upstate New York. I grew up in a small business family. Uh, my parents were not political. They were very patriotic, but very civic minded and running their small family business, which my family still has today. I'm the first member of my immediate family to graduate from college. And uh, I graduated from Harvard, although that's not the achievement. The achievement is graduating from Harvard and staying a Republican and there a proud go. conservative. <laughs> which is more important today than ever, to true be honest story, with you. True story. 
I ran for Congress, and it's interesting, I did not know I would be the youngest woman ever elected at the time, but I ran because I felt like we needed new energy, fresh ideas, and I flipped a district that was previously held by a Democrat. And as I said, I'm in my fifth term now. Where are we today? Well, I believe we are at the precipice of the most important election of our lifetime. The American people have seen in just two short years with single party Democrat rule, that was, of course, with Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, just the catastrophic crises that have that, that their policies have caused across this country, whether it's the wide open border, which is a crisis, not just in southern border states, but at every state in America. And I'd like to talk more about that because I actually represent a border district on the U.S.-Canadian border, and we've seen a huge increase in illegal crossings there. On top of the border crisis, which is top of the mind for every voter, you have an economic crisis stemming directly from Bidenomics, this historic level in, of inflation, which is the highest rate of inflation in my lifetime. Uh, and it's a result of the trillions of dollars of reckless spending. And then fundamentally, you have a weaponized federal government going against Joe Biden's and Democrats' top political opponents, whether that's the witch hunts against Donald Trump or whether that's targeting everyday American people like conservatives, Catholics, and even parents at school board meetings. So this election is so, so important. And I'm proud to give my district in New York 21 a seat at the highest levels every day. And I'm always proud to stand up for them with my voting card and my voice. How has that experience been for you? I mean, obviously being the, the youngest congresswoman ever elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, you, you spent time on many committees, and now you sit at the top of leadership just next to Speaker Johnson and, and Steve Scalise. And, you know, what, what can you say about uh, how difficult of a time it's been for the Republicans in the House? Although, you know, you guys have been able to maintain a slim majority, I think we're going through a lot of the growing pains and definitely see a light at the end of the tunnel for the U.S. House of Representatives of how things are going to I would consider it generationally change uh, everything from the budget and, and how, you know, appropriations are done and, and when they start in the time of the year, all the way down to, you know, bringing more people into the America first side of, of the Republican caucus to have these other representatives in Congress understand it's OK to, to vote with the majority sometimes when it literally is bipartisan, but being scared to, uh, you know, go out there and, and make a bold decision on things like the budget and, and continuing resolutions just because some of the senior congressmen and women will go out and say like, well, if you're a Republican and you don't vote for it and you're, you don't want to fund the military, so it must be a pretty bad thing and you must be a pretty bad congressperson. But, but I mean, you guys are trying to break through that narrative. I think there's been a lot of headway, although it's been kind of choppy waters in the Congress this year, but, but the way we've kind of laid it out on the show when you look at the long-term goals, which is something that I'll, I'll have to admit, Republicans have a hard time doing sometimes. Uh, it seems like you guys have set yourself up for, for a pretty bright future, even though we're in the midst of a pretty chaotic election season. Well, first of all, I think flipping the House was so, so critical in 2022 because we are literally the last line of defense from that single party Democrat rule where we saw those horrific policies that are impacting people's daily lives. So that was a win. I saw that firsthand in New York. What is really interesting is if you look at the 2022 midterms, it was in the blue states, California and New York, where we picked up more seats than Correct. anywhere else. And I believe that's because 
people in those states really see the terrible impact and how harmful far left radical policies are on safety, on economic opportunity, on we see a crime wave in New York, for example, let alone the illegal immigration crisis. So we were very proud to help lead that effort. And moving forward, I think what you're seeing is really a tectonic shift in uh, political parties. And at the top of that is President Trump, who has expanded the Republican Party. I mean, that is what the mainstream media refuses to say, which is the truth is that historic support among Hispanic, historic support among African-American voters. And in my district, what's interesting is about 20 percent of Democrats now vote for Republicans. And that's because they feel that they've fundamentally been left behind by today's radical, elite, far left Democrat Party, and that the policies that support hardworking families and working people, they vote with Republican. So it's been interesting to see that firsthand in a district that voted for Obama twice and voted for President Trump overwhelmingly. In terms of the House, I think what's interesting is in the House, unlike the Senate, you see much more churn just in terms of um, new members of Congress. So the majority of the members uh, of Republicans have never been in a Republican majority before. So even though I'm still pretty young, I've been there five terms. So that makes me not only, you know, an elected a leadership, one of the most senior, but one of the longest serving members and sure. the longest serving Republican in the New York delegation. So I've seen a number of speakers work through some of the challenges of Republican majorities. But I will say I'm optimistic. Um, the media really underestimated our ability to deliver legislative wins. And look at what we've been able to put up on the board just in the last year, the border security package, which Previously, Republicans had struggled to get through the House. We passed the strongest border security package ever. And that is what we're, you know, what is going to be our top priority in the next administration under President Trump, because we know those policies worked. We passed an energy independence package. We passed a parent's bill of rights. And we are fighting hard when it comes to fixing the budget process process and just the overall budget to address this catastrophic national debt, which has just been piled on by the trillions of dollars spent by Democrats. How has it been working alongside Speaker Johnson? You know, we've had on average, we've got about 40 congressmen and women from the Republican House that come through the show. A couple senators, uh, Senator Tuberville is one of our favorites. He jumps in with us all the time as well. And, and, you know, everybody says that he's a great guy, he's a constitutional scholar, obviously is a man of God, comes from a great family. You're not going to bring up any dirt on him. But but it seems like in the midst of all these battles, especially when you're looking at how stacked the chips are, just based off the balance of power right now, when you talk about Chuck Schumer in the Senate, you got the two-headed monster of Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries in the House, and then everybody that's working in and around Joe Biden's office up on, you know, at, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenues. But you know, the way we kind of look at it, Mike Johnson wasn't going to be the person who takes decades of a government being funded off of continuing resolutions and omnibuses and within 100 days or less just be able to change that. And I do think that although, uh, you know, we, we'd like to see some stronger stances, I think overall the job hasn't been a, a terrible one. I think it's been about as big as a Band-Aid that you could kind of put on this right now as we head into both the election season and, and hopefully you guys retaining power in the House next year. Speaker Johnson, I know very well. He's doing a great job. He is a very principled conservative, and he served as the vice chair of the conference, which worked with me when I was conference chair, and now he is the speaker. And what I think is interesting is he's the only modern Republican speaker that got unanimous support on the House floor with that speaker's vote. That's very important to have someone to unify Republicans, particularly with this slim majority. 
Mike Johnson's top priority is the border, and uh, he is working to make sure that he has as much leverage as possible to fight to secure the border uh, as we go down this road over the next couple of weeks here. And it's a challenge when you have a president who is unwilling to address the crisis that his policies have created. So you have Joe Biden, who literally is the reason for the border crisis at our southern border because of his executive actions, because of their policies. And yet, Mike is in a great position to fight for border security, and he has the conference fully behind him. So I think Mike has been underestimated, but he consistently is going to take principled stances on behalf of the American people. Uh, and I think you'll see that. And I, I'm very proud because I see on a weekly basis he has grown so much since becoming Speaker of the House. And it's not an easy job, but he is uh, continuing to work to put up conservative wins every single week. So you're right. We can't change uh, decades and decades overnight. But that very important incremental conservative progress, particularly as we're heading into this November with the hopes and focus on winning a Republican Senate and President Trump in office, that will give us an opportunity to deliver lasting conservative wins. It certainly will. You know, we uh, played that clip of you and Speaker Johnson on Fox and Friends from several weeks ago. I think it was right before or after a congressional recess for the holidays where, you know, he essentially alluded to saying that border security is the hill that he and House Republicans plan on dying on. And and we've referenced it uh, several times in the last couple of weeks saying, you know, history will judge and grade Mike Johnson based on that commentary right there. And it seems to this point he hasn't broke on border security and uh, we haven't seen any new appropriations or, or standalone uh, foreign aid packages for places like Ukraine yet. So you really can't complain about it when it's a work in progress. I, I definitely think that that's a a good, uh, you know, kind of analysis of the job he's done. And uh, listen, before we get into some of the issues that are affecting Americans right now, there is one other thing I want to touch on. I know it's very important to you. It was one of our 2023 highlights by far. And that's when you, you know, address some of the presidents of these major universities who have allowed, you know, the... I don't even know what you want to call it, the, the disease of anti-Semitism to just infect uh, college campuses throughout the country. I think it was some of the most powerfully addressed commentary and, and you know, feedback for these elitists that anyone on Capitol Hill could have provided. And, and you led the charge. It led to multiple firings and stepping downs. I mean, you know, not necessarily that's the there there. We obviously want to change the culture and the mindset of like normalizing that stuff again. But the fact of the matter is, is that someone up on Capitol Hill and someone especially in leadership had the ability and took the initiative to step up and just absolutely hammer the narrative home that it is completely unacceptable it's like just it does it's like we're going back in time when you see the stuff that's being allowed to fester on college campuses right now and we just wanted to kind of uh, have you take our listenership a little bit through that process and, and maybe some progress you've seen uh you know since that date up on Capitol Hill yeah, I am. I really want to talk about this because it's important and people across the country and around the world are paying very close attention. So what's very interesting about that hearing is the question that went viral and is now the most watched testimony in the history of the United States Congress with over two billion views. It was the last question of a hearing and it was when the most junior member in our committee, Erin Houchin, who is a superstar new member from Indiana, yielded me her remaining three minutes. And prior in the hearing, I had gone back and forth with questions and really struggled to get direct answers from the former president of Harvard. And I thought to myself, how can I ask this question in a very straightforward, moral way? Not a political question, but a moral one. And the question I asked was, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's code of conduct? And one after one after one, MIT, Penn, and Harvard 
blew it. And they said, it depends on the context, which I very quickly corrected and said, no, it does not depend on the context. And of course, it led to the immediate firing of the Penn president. It took a month too long for Harvard to do the forced resignation of the now former Harvard president. But it really encapsulates these presidents are sitting atop these institutions where anti-Semitism has been permitted to take root, whether it's in the inherently racist offices of DEI, uh, which are inherently anti-Semitic, or whether it's their refusal to address the rising anti-Semitism even prior to the Hamas attacks against Israel on October 6th. And that to me means that it is a reckoning and it is long overdue for an earthquake in higher education. And that's why, yes, that hearing was very important, but the investigation moving forward is even more important. So continuing to get all the documents to uncover and bring transparency to what I believe will be the greatest scandal in higher education of probably all time. We need to address the taxpayer funding piece because U.S. taxpayer funding goes to these institutions, nearly a billion dollars for each one of those three that I included. And U.S. Taxpayers have a right, uh, and it's our responsibility as members of Congress to make sure that our taxpayer dollars don't go to fund anti-Semitism on these college campuses. I also want to look at the foreign funding piece. Uh, We know that there are significant foreign dollars flowing into these colleges and universities, and there are conditions of those dollars, whether it's um, professors, whether it's curricula, whether it's students, whether it's funding of student groups. So there is a lot to uncover here. And I think higher education in general is ripe for a reckoning, but it just encapsulates this wokeness, this radical DEI that really is infecting who we are as a country, the yeah. American dream, where you have a quality of opportunity uh, rather than this racist ideology that the left is pushing every single day. No, it's the truth. And, and you know, for, for a lot of people who might have been uh, naysayers saying that you would never get to that point of that hearing where it would get that, you know, just stripped down to the bare bones. Like, this is the problem. You guys are ridiculous for sticking to your guns. And, and the American people need to hear it. They need to see it. Obviously, a lot of people who have influence over these universities, we're talking about the donors and, you know, alumni who are famous, did, obviously did not like some of the commentary that came out of these uh presidents and former presidents mouths and it seems like moving forward I, i'm in agreement with you i think higher education all education across the country pretty much needs to uh have a reckoning and, and just kind of a do-over because i mean you know, i'll be honest with you i've got kids that are like 11 and 12 year olds and they've barely learned any united states history or anything to do with kind of western civilization up to this point and it's really sad to see that you know my wife and i have to educate them outside of school just to make sure that they understand like what our republic stands for which is a huge thing that kids just aren't getting these days. And when you don't understand what this country's all about and, and have a foundation that's built up from a very young age like it was when, when we were young, you know, you have kids that are so gullible to fall into traps like, okay, well, everybody's going to be anti-Semitic or racist or, you know, think the country was founded on things other than what it was founded on. Let's just go along with it. And you, you have to be able to impress them at a very young age of what this country really means. And I think you guys are are definitely at the forefront of addressing that. And it was really good to see. That's why the parents' uh, engagement in their 
child's education is so, so important. We saw that explosion happen in Virginia, for example. And it's, again, it wasn't just Republicans. It's winning voters across party lines, standing up for parents' rights when it comes to being the chief decision maker and advocate for their kids' education, Uh, making sure that there's transparency for parents regarding the curricula, regarding the books being taught. That is important. I also think if you look at the increase in homeschooling, just to touch upon what you said, there is a reason why there's a significant increase increase in homeschooling. I see it in my district, but people are fundamentally questioning the quality and the content of what's being taught uh, because the left has tried to infiltrate our K-12 education system and certainly our higher ed education system. So I'm proud of the parents that step up in big ways. I often tell people in my district running for school board is one of the most important uh, campaigns you can ever run. And I credit all those people stepping up to run at the local level for school board. No, it certainly is. I do want to touch on uh, one more big item before I ask you about the campaign trail with President Trump, and that's the showdown on the U.S. southern border. Obviously, you saw the Supreme Court ruling last week. Uh, Joe Biden and, and you know House Republicans, along with other leadership uh, you know in the government, of especially the Senate with Chuck Schumer, and we know James Langford is involved, Lindsey Graham, several others. We heard some commentary. I'm sure you didn't miss it from Senator Ted Cruz the other day, what he thought of the bill that they're working on right now as part of the border agreement, I'm air quoting, uh, as kind of an alternative alternative to HR2. Listen, this is the, the probably one of the biggest issues in, in the history of our country. It's not just about the people that are coming in, the people that we don't know are, are getting into the country, the amount of fentanyl, human trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking, you name it, but the loss of our sovereignty and, and how Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas and, and those around them have facilitated this so seamlessly since Donald Trump left office is probably going to be the biggest issue heading into this election cycle. You see it in the first caucus, and the first primary. It's what's concerning the voters the most, even more than the economy, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. But how do you guys see this getting tackled moving forward now that, you know, the Supreme Court's made a ruling, but Joe Biden also admitted that the border is not secure and it hasn't been for a long time. We all know that's not the truth. It was secure, at least a lot more secure, right up until he took office. But he finally admitted it over the course of the last couple of days. There was that hot mic moment at a gala when he got hit up by a reporter. But moving forward and, and when you guys are back up on the Hill next week, how, how do you guys look at kind of addressing this? Because from a lot of the feedback we're getting, both from representatives in the House and obviously members of the Senate who came out and, and did a press conference about it yesterday, the one that Chuck Schumer and, and James Langford and a couple others are working on is not going to cut it. And we know that Alejandro Mayorkas will never enact all the stipulations that are written up in H.R. 2. Well, the Senate negotiated bill is a non-starter. Let me begin with that. Uh, And the speaker has said, absolutely not. I agree. Absolutely not. Uh, And even the Senate Republicans, uh, there's wide disagreement as to that bill. Um, Our position is very clear. As House Republicans, we know the policies that work. The policies that work were under President Trump. Build the wall, fully fund Border Patrol, uh, give them the resources they need, end catch and release, and return to the remain in Mexico policy. I'll tell you, the northern border in my district, we have seen a nearly 800% increase in illegal crossings Mm. uh, over the past year in the Swanton sector. And of course, look at the southern border where there have been well over 8 million illegal crossings since Joe Biden took office. And that does not count the gotaways. So this is a huge crisis. And you talked about how it's the top concern for voters, not just in the Republican caucus in Iowa and the Republican primary in New Hampshire, but take a look at New York. 84% of New Yorkers believe the border crisis is a top concern. And that means that a lot of Democrats are concerned about it as well. So it is going to be one of the main issues this election cycle. 
House Republicans have done our job. We passed H.R. 2. We're going to continue to advocate for that. But this bill out of the Senate is a non-starter. It is falling apart. No surprises. And we need to hold Joe Biden accountable. That's why I'm supportive of the impeachment inquiry process of Secretary Mayorkas, who is not abiding by the Constitution and uh, frankly is is just, you know, putting Joe Biden's border crisis policies into place that are putting lives at risk, whether you consider the overdoses from fentanyl, which is the leading cause of death for age 18 to 35 year olds, or whether the human trafficking hundreds of thousands of minors have been lost by Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security because of Joe Biden's failure. And these poor children are in trafficking now, human trafficking. So it is a humanitarian crisis. It's a national security crisis, economic crisis. And we need to return to the President Trump policies. And we need to not just pass H.R. 2, but get it signed into law by President Trump. Well, that's the thing. And and Madam Chairwoman, just to be clear, you know, the last piece of legislative agenda that Joe Biden is going to try and pass. It's already kind of pre-baked into this, you know, border agreement that James Langford and and, uh, Senate Democrats are working on. We've heard Kamala Harris talk about it. Alejandro Mayorkas referenced it, uh, honestly, in the last couple of times. Joe Biden, when he can get a couple words out together, kind of alludes to it as well. And that's going to be an amnesty package. Uh, As far as House Republicans go, especially up in leadership, that is a 0% chance of getting passed during this session of Congress, in your opinion? Zero percent not happening. We are focused on securing the border. Uh, And isn't that telling that the Democrats uh, continue to focus on amnesty? We want to secure the border. If we do not have a border, we do not have a country. And right now we are losing our sovereignty because of our wide open borders because of Joe Biden. It's the truth. All right. We know that uh, you're on a tight schedule. I got one more thing I just want to get just a tiny bit of commentary on. You've been on the road with President Trump. We're huge supporters of him here on the show. Obviously, we endorsed him the night he uh, announced back in November of 2022. And and to see Donald Trump the way he was able to beat the odds in regards to the weather and and the people who were still in the race in Iowa during the caucus there, and then just beat the odds and, and break the record for not only the amount of Republicans that came out and voted for him, but the amount of voters in general up in New Hampshire. His record currently stands at 2-0. This uh, primary election season, we see it being 5-0 and by the time we get to Super Tuesday, to which where he will become, uh, delegate-wise at least, the nominee to be. You have been a close friend, supporter, and uh, critical piece of Donald Trump's first term in office. I know you're looking to make it a- another one. Uh, Elise, but the fact of the matter is, is that can you just tell us what that experience has been like? Because to watch Donald Trump work now, it it seems like it's greater than either of the election cycles he ran in already. It's like a well-oiled machine, very fiscally responsible, no leaks coming out. And it seems like now that he's that touchable candidate again, that puts himself in front of the American people, literally and physically, it's just resonating with the people that they knew life was better under Donald Trump. And they're looking forward to him uh, winning again in November. He's going to steamroll. This is not a primary. I have said he's the presumptive nominee for months. uh, And I had previously called for all the other candidates to drop out and support him. But I think you're right to highlight the historic nature of the win of the Iowa caucuses, despite the fact that the media tried to have people stay home by talking about the weather. Those Iowans proudly came out and cast their vote in the caucuses for President Trump. And then the New Hampshire primary, um, that is a big deal to win Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, that's the first president who's not the sitting president to be able to do so. And uh, it's a big win. And of course, he's going to do well in South Carolina. But you're right. Uh, I do think this is the strongest position he has ever been in. Obviously, 16 and 20 were very strong campaigns, but this is the strongest campaign yet. I'm proud to be the first member of Congress to endorse him. Uh, 
uh, and I'm proud to be one of his top surrogates out there every day. And he has the vision to save this country. And I'm going to do everything I can to support him on behalf of my constituents so that he can win in November. It's going to be fantastic to watch. It already has been. He's, he's teasing big things after Nevada this week, of course, but ahead to South Carolina where, you know, we, we always talk to our listenership. They don't understand how big that rally. They had a town of like 3,500 people and nearly 80,000 showed up in like triple-digit heat and waited hours for him to get out there, and he spoke for two hours, and they just loved it. We're going to get the same kind of energy in South Carolina for the primary there in a little bit uh, less than a month, and it's going to be amazing to watch President Trump tried to do something that only one other president's done before, but but this will be the first time it's ever been done in the modern era. I want to add one other thing. You talked about the two-hour-long rallies. Sure. In New Hampshire, the rally that I was with the president at, he also spoke for two hours. Compare that with Joe Biden, who <laughs> cannot get through two minutes without uh, wandering off of stage, oh, without having to be directed by uh, Jill Biden as to where to go, without tripping over his words. It takes stamina. It takes energy. President Trump has that more than ever before. And the American people see that. No matter how much the mainstream media tries to attack and serve as the stenographers for Joe Biden. Yep. People know that Joe Biden is unfit to be president of the United States, and they want a strong America first president like President Trump. So I saw that like I have before, but it is worth focusing on that two hour long rallies. Most elected officials are not able to do that, let alone certainly Joe Biden would never be able to do that. But President Trump does that day in, day out. And what's also important to note is this is amidst the Democrats are throwing so many witch hunts. So he is having to focus on the witch hunt after witch hunt, going to these various trials, turning around, going to these rallies, delivering amazing speeches for two hours. So I'm again, I'm proud to be campaigning with him. I learn so much from him every day. And I'm proud, as I said, to be one of his top surrogates. Yeah, one of our friends from the show is on the uh, rapid response team out in New York. And He's been helping the 45th president uh, drive the motorcade around over the course of the last couple of weeks with Iowa and New Hampshire so close to each other. And from Iowa to Manhattan and Iowa to Manhattan and to court to Trump Tower, back to the airport, all hours of the day. And it's like every single person he said there is so much younger than him. A lot of them are, are, are fit, you know, looking wise than President Trump. And, and he gets out of the car and it's like he's got a spring in his step and everybody's just like dragging their suitcases and briefcases on the ground like, oh, my gosh, how do we do this every day? But Listen, if you want to be the highest executive and hold the highest office in the world, uh, that that's what you should bring to the table at the very least. Then you can start talking about policies. We already know what the first uh, Trump term in office looked like and, and the way he's added on to that uh, with the perspective of Agenda 47. It's, it's just a very exciting time to be alive, to be involved in politics and to uh, be covering stuff like this. It's exciting. And I'm so excited to be on Steak for Breakfast, the fastest growing political podcast. So thank you for having me. No, oh, it's absolutely fantastic. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Congresswoman, for anybody that wants to follow you on social media, check out all the great work you continue to do. Where can they find you? Elise Stefanik. All right. This has been the House Republican Conference Chair and the U.S. Representative from New York 21. Madam Chairwoman Elise Stefanik, thanks for joining us today. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary, we win the 
generals. We've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember, in 2016, we came here, and we needed that winner. We won by 21 points, and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely when it was at 7. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But, but she ran up when it was 7. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. She had a very bad night. And you. All right, getting things started with the news portion of the show today. The first of two big Friday editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ro Noah, still here. Yo. Welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. How was the uh, annual Forklifters Summit? The Forklifters Summit was amazing. We uh, we picked some stuff up, and then we put it back down, spun around in circles a couple times. Time trials and stuff? Yeah. Oof. It's like shooting, but with forklifting. We, so We did a lot of talking about forklifting. There's, so there's nothing like, it's not nothing like shooting, but no. it's, it's a lot like forklifting. Yes. We appreciate our forklifters out there. And that was Donald Trump starting off the victory speech, the historic one in New Hampshire. You heard him allude to the fact that he had won it for the third time, first time a person has ever done that. And uh, when you look at some of the stats, the amount of points Donald Trump won by, which was nearly 12, the fact that over 70% of Republicans registered in a state where there's just as many, if not more, independents and Democrats voted for Donald Trump. The overall turnout was a, a record that was broken by Donald Trump, previously held by one of Noah's favorite impressions, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and uh, the first thing he has to talk about is the bullshit that's going on with Nikki Haley, which is what we're going to touch on just a little bit. You know, when you look at this from the outside looking in, everybody knows that this is an op. In Nikki Haley's New Hampshire primary turnout, 70% of the people that voted for her were non-Republicans. Obviously, because Donald Trump got 70% of the Republican vote. That should tell you a lot. And you would think within 24 hours of this result here, the people who are financially backing her started to bail out as well. The co-founder of LinkedIn, who's also personally funding the E. Jean Carroll case. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Oh, he's linked into that one? I see what you did there. Ooh. So today in court, this was the final day. And during, I guess, closing remarks, Alina Habba was cut off several times by the judge, who's just a radical never-Trumper, just absolutely loathes Donald Trump, to the point that what she told her, Miss Habba, if you speak out one more time out of turn, you're going to be spending some time in the timeout cell for the weekend. Ooh. Yeah. I feel like that guy sits there with, like, a gallon of cottage cheese and a diaper or something. He's, he's got some weird kinks. I, I know it. We missed the days of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial where the guy was... <laughs> 
<laughs> literally reading <laughs> magazines while the defense was trying to make a case against the kid. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things where when you see what's going on with Nikki Haley, now remember, Chris Christie said he's in it till the convention. Ron DeSantis said he was in it till the convention. And just like everybody else in the race, they all suspended their campaigns and outside of Chris Christie and, and kind of half-sidedly for Ron DeSantis have endorsed Donald Trump. Well, Chris Christie found out there there wasn't going to be any food at the at, at the final event. This so. is true. There are refreshments, but they're just finger foods, and that probably doesn't sit well with him. Yeah, that's a double. Well, he eats a finger food, and he might actually actually get a finger. You know, Ugh, such gelatinous blob. <laughs> but you know, then you see endorsements come out over the weekend, not for Donald Trump, but for Nikki Haley. They came from Democrats, close Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So yeah, essentially. When you look at some, Nikki Haley is also holding a major fundraising event in Houston, Texas this week, and it's the same guy, the the person who's hosting it for her, that's donated tens of thousands of dollars to Democrat politicians, including major ones like House Minority Leader in title only, Hakeem Jeffries. So this is an op, and I want everybody to understand everything. We posted about it on social media. We touched on it a little bit. You see what's going on with Joe Biden. I've got a couple sound bites albeit you can't tell what he's talking about. It's He's getting worse, I think. Every day. And, uh, you know, Nikki Haley is now a Democrat prop, so Joe Biden doesn't have to campaign, and they have to burn nobody on their bench. You don't have to bring out Barack and Michelle. You don't have to bring out Susan Rice or Hillary Clinton. I mean, Gavin Newsom goes and, and jumps on the cable news shows to kind of trumpet what the regime wants you to hear from that side of the aisle. And but, try to ignore that California is literally a shithole now. Like, and getting worse every like day. Like a wet shithole. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Like when you like when the, your finger goes through the toilet paper. Oof. That's California right now. <laughs> so you're talking about that gas station TP. Yeah. The half ply. Yeah. But this is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing Nikki Haley being basically led along by money. And this is what we're getting. We're not getting to pivot totally onto the general election even though the Trump campaign has done a great job of, of hitting everybody, both online and through their press releases, obviously when Donald Trump has speaking events and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know how we stop stuff like this. You know, South Carolina, albeit Donald Trump, there's, there's some new poll numbers that came out today, Noah, and Donald Trump in the poll is leading the former governor of that state who appointed senators like Tim Scott, who got out of the race and endorsed Donald Trump, and the morning console that came out today has Trump 81, Haley 18. Mm. So what is the purpose of her being in this race? We'll hear her talking points from that night as well. But, you know, before we get into some of the other stuff that happened up on the stage in, in a celebratory fashion, Donald Trump wasn't going to just let this go. He called Nikki Haley out again for her BS. Literally, let's hear it. I felt I should do this because... I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You just can't do that. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy (laughs) come up, I said, what's she doing? We won. And she did the same thing last week, but he was much more angry about it than I was. I said, get up there and you let him know. And he pointed to Vivek when he was talking about being angry about stuff. That's that's a funny point. You remember... Vivek, last week in, in Iowa, Noah, how long and animated he was. And when we were done with the clip, the first thing I said was, man, I guarantee next time that guy speaks with, with Donald Trump on the same stage, you're going to tell him to tune it down. 
Oh, yeah. So he, he did. brought Vivek up directly after that talking point there to say a few words to the crowd. And you want to know what he said? Listen, big guy, we're going to keep it short and sweet. You've got one minute to talk to the crowd. <laughs> and then he gave the mic to Vivek. And uh, we're going we're gonna to hear from the former presidential candidate now as he joined President Trump in his victory celebration on Tuesday. Is America first defeating America last? That's what we saw tonight. If you want America last, you can go to Joe Biden. You got another candidate still apparently in the Republican primary. Cut your Social Security to fork over more money to Ukraine so some kleptocrat can buy a bigger <laughs> house. Go to Nikki Haley. But you know who delivered a double-digit victory tonight? It is a double-digit victory as of right now. Is this man, Donald J. Trump, the leader of America first? And that means something. Now... USA and Donald Trump, America first. Now, I got, I got 30 seconds left. I want to make this point here, okay? We got to say this. We got to say this right. What we see right now with her continuing in this race is the ugly underbelly of American politics, where the mega donors are trying to do one thing when we, the people, say another. And it's up to us, to we, the people, to at long last say, hell no, we, the people, create a government that is accountable to us. And we, the people, have said tonight, we want, again, as we did in Iowa, Donald J. Trump. And so you want to actually speak truth. That's the truth tonight. And the only thing they're rooting for is an ugly thing that we don't want to see happen. That's what these people are rooting for, is playing to say long enough so the Reed Hoffmans and the ugly Democratic George Soros Juniors who are funding the lawsuits against Trump can prop up their puppet. We say no to that vision. I say the general election begins tonight, and this man will win it in a landslide. God bless you, Donald J. Trump. Vote Trump USA. Throw all the words out there. Yeah, all of them. No, but how do you argue with with what he said, though? It's the absolute like, truth. We want these giant multinational corporations and mega donors to stop influencing and controlling the government because yeah. they do not have our best interests in mind. It's the same as like the uh, the FDA and the big pharma and stuff like that. Like when you talk about like the pharmaceutical nonsense that's gone on since the eighties, where they're just killing people willy nilly and just don't care, and there's no accountability, no accountability. other than maybe. Occasionally getting a fine. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild, and and you know, the stuff that's going on with Nikki Haley right now. This is a, this is a prime example of of what we would have gotten if you had some uh, stronger candidates in the race. I mean, obviously it wasn't going to be somebody like Ada Hutchinson or you know Ron DeSantis, but it's just wild to me that this lady who served in the administration. I mean, obviously you can tell now she only served it for her own interest and in, in political capital and stuff like that has been led along this and there's so much stuff that has come out about it. you know we talked about the affairs but you wanted to hear how bad it's gotten noah Mm-mm. so you know how the dilly meme team did the fanny willis uh gold digger video it was hood banger yeah so they put out another one back of the lack and it was you know because nikki haley apparently cheated with men inside of cars while her husband was deployed in war zones gotta love that right and this is proven or this is a both men, accusation. Both men signed affidavits before she ran for governor, so it couldn't be used as a smear against her. Like they couldn't go to the media and be like, "Oh yeah, we totally boned." And those affidavits have been leaked or foiled to the American public. Wow. So, anyways, that's a dirtbag move. The Daily Meme team puts out this new one. I believe it's called Back of the Lack. That's like a reverse 
uh, Jody. One of the guys who allegedly had an affair with Nikki Haley commented on the video and corrected them to the make and model of the car that they had sex in. <laughs> Does that violate his terms of his uh, affidavit or whatever it was? I don't know, but it's just best timeline ever material. And, you know. He's, it, trying, he's trying to get a book deal. Yeah. Good for him, though. This lady that wants to raise your taxes and cut Social Security and slash Medicare jumps on the boards of Raytheon and Boeing and now owns a $4 million home on the South Carolina coast. You know, she was getting ready to file for bankruptcy when she left public office, and she's living large now. She's just another one of the elites. And you could tell that America's interests aren't, you know, necessarily her focal point, especially of her presidential, air quoting now, campaign. Mm -hmm. Her son's name also is, spoken correctly, Nalen. His name is Nalen Haley. (laughs) (laughs) He decided to get a little cute on... Twitter yesterday. And Nalen I, Haley. Did, I think that was probably a lot of people's nicknames. I just want to know if he knows who his real father is, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I just quoted one of his tweets where he was hyping up his mom, and I said, listen, you want to run your mouth like Johnny Big Balls on the internet. When the memers are done with you, you're going to be begging for mercy, and so is your mother. Mm-hmm. And every single one of the big dogs were in there in the comments just like the girl that smiles while the house is burning down behind her and people like rubbing their hands together and stuff and well i wonder how many porta potties in Kabul that had her nikki haley's phone number on oh, it god <laughs> it's bad and so is she so now we still have to deal with this and and it's weird because ronna mcdaniel and it, i reached out to the rnc yesterday and got a, a pretty good answer before they actually broke it online Wanted to step in and do something. We'll talk about that in our second edition of the podcast today. But, you know, segueing here and and doing a hard pivot towards the general election. Next stop, Nevada, which is weird. I'm going to explain this to our listenership. So there's two things going on in Nevada. On February 6th, there's a primary. The primary has no bearing, zero, over any of the delegates that are given to the presidential candidate who wins the state. On February 8th, they have a caucus. Donald Trump is on the ballot for the caucus. Nikki Haley is on the ballot for the primary. Nikki Haley is losing by about 95-ish percent to 5% Mm. in Nevada to Donald Trump. And regardless of what happens, if Donald Trump shows up, he's already on the ballot, they caucus for him, he wins all the delegates, and it's on South Carolina, which is a little less than a month away now. Uh, They kind of talked about this and, and what they're setting their focus and sights on as they were getting ready to wrap the victory speech. Let's hear it. Just remember, I I did hear Nikki say, and now it's off to South Carolina. Well, I love South Carolina. I I love it. But, you know, she forgot one thing. She forgot one thing. Next week, it's Nevada. Next week, it's Nevada. It's not South Carolina. We love South Carolina, but next week, it's Nevada. And I'm pleased to announce we just won Nevada. We just won. 100%. Probably why she skipped it. Because all of them, they looked at it and they took polls and I was polling at 95% to 4 or 5% and they decided not to play in Nevada. So we just... Would you look, would you look at that? Very smartly. And that's the thing. He's going to roll right through Nevada and then you got to remember when Donald Trump was first hitting the campaign trail hard, one of the first outdoor rallies he did was in South Carolina and it was in a town, a military town that, you know, about 4,000-ish people live in. And they had nearly 80,000 people show up in the middle of the summer, 110 degrees, and wait hours for him to get there. That's hot. And speak for four hours. And, you know, 
Anybody that doesn't think he's going to do good, even though, again, South Carolina is an open primary, but just the poll numbers that are coming out of there are a lot different in New Hampshire where you have the split between independents and Democrats and the ability to change, I guess, the way you vote. There was a September 30th deadline in New Hampshire where South Carolina, I believe it's one of those states where you could walk in as an independent, decide what party you're voting for, and then switch back right after. So that's neither here nor there. It's not going to affect Donald Trump winning. We predicted that he would be 5-0 and at the end of the pre-Super Tuesday caucuses and primaries. We're sticking with that number. It doesn't look like Nikki Haley's going to be much of a challenge. The only she- thing she's going to do is get more unlimited time on if Fox News doesn't give it to her. CNN, MSNBC, CBS, the ABC morning news shows on Sunday and stuff like that to go out and, and propagate her bullshit and, and w- what she offers as a solution now. She's, she's the establishment's last chance to hope Donald Trump goes to jail or gets assassinated. That's literally all this is. Everybody else said they were going to do it, and she is the only one up to this point, although I don't think she's going to last much longer. If she's not out after South Carolina, Super Tuesday will be a reckoning for her uh, at the ballot box-wise. And then she'll be done. Guys, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, hopefully it's on Apple, but we're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. You hit the follow button, you hit the plus button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell, and don't forget to share the podcast. Moving along here and sticking in the same thread, we're going to hear from Nikki Haley in a second. Real quick, hey, it was good sitting down with the Republican House chairwoman today for the first time. She had a really good time on the show. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, it's good. Good to have her on more often. Strong ally of Donald Trump. Said she loved it and she'd be back. And, uh, you know, it was a long interview to get things started today. But, listen, they told us it was going to be about 15 minutes. She said she was going to give us a little longer when she jumped on with us. And then it went long. Thanks to the marvel of editing, believe it or not, I tried to adhere to those time restraints twice, and she's like, no, 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 I want to keep making good points here. Let's keep going. Nice. So we really appreciate Elise Stefanik for jumping on with us, and uh, we're going to have some more first-timers coming in here very soon. We've got uh, Representative Hochin is going to be joining us on Monday for the first time, as will Anna Paulina Luna for the first time. So big stuff, rolling along, and uh, keeping things going. Sorry, I, had, I told everybody I was going to bore you with Nikki Haley's portion of the, I guess you want to call it victory side of New Hampshire. Mm. I mean, if you're not first, you're last. Shake and bake. Uh, she did her best Will Ferrell impersonation. Let's hear it. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. And her assistant's really loud. I have news for all of them. (laughs) New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. Probably her tough husband. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. And we were at 2% in the polls. Well, I'm a fighter. 
and I'm scrappy. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. For a lot of people, politics is way too personal. It's not personal for me. I voted for Trump twice. I was proud to serve America in his cabinet. I agree with many of his policies. But then the Democrats started paying my bills. I decided to run because yep. I'm worried about the future of our country and because it's time to put the negativity and chaos behind us. You know, I listened to an interview she did the day after on Fox News, and I'm not going to make your guys' ears bleed by hearing her bullshit, but here's the thing. You had her talk about all of the things that happened during the Trump administration, the robust economy, the geopolitical standing that the United States had in the eyes of its allies and adversaries, the safe and secure border. Then she went on to talk about how strong she's doing in these primaries and then segued to not putting out any kind of platform and just saying that she'll do things better and she'll do things younger and she'll do things girlier. So apparently Kathleen Kennedy's running her campaign right now. Uh, you know, just put a girl in it and make it gay is kind of the equation that they're using to ruin Disney. And, and that's what we're being presented with, with somebody like Nikki Haley. So again, she, she referenced the poll numbers and her strong standings morning consult today. We already read it. Trump 81%, Nikki Haley 18. And when you look at those numbers, it's just inconceivable to think that she would even have a prayer anywhere. Uh, you've had everybody from Joe Biden and Ronna McDaniel to Mitch McConnell admit that Donald Trump is already the nominee. Again, we're going to get to that in our second edition of the show. i got one more clip. We're getting ready to jump in with former ambassador to the UN, Rick Rennell, one of our great friends, going to catch up on all the things Trump world going on with him because I think he's already on the ground in Nevada. They have secured the Big League Dreams facility for their watch party next Thursday night in the Nevada caucus. And uh, I believe the after party, of course, is going to be at the Trump Hotel. So for anybody that's getting out there, it sounds like a good watch. MSNBC, of course, couldn't produce any real news, and they cut Donald Trump off after about a minute 30 because they, he started trashing Nikki Haley. Went with that <laughs> as the main topic of their primary coverage. Let's hear it. Donald Trump has already started going for the jugular with the birtherism stuff and Nikki Haley. I mean, it is going to be a bruising next month for this woman who very clearly did not want to talk about being the daughter of immigrants, did not want to talk about being the governor that took the Confederate flag down from the state capitol in the wake of the Mother Emanuel shooting. I mean, this is all stuff that I think for the general election could be, you know, important data points for Nikki Haley, but in a, in a, in a primary process that where nativism and xenophobia and latent, if not explicit racism, has proven to be mana, oh, uh, I, you know, oh. I think it's going to get really, really ugly. Well, no shit, it's Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You don't have to keep pointing it out, though, lady. Listen, we can only vote for him once. We're not Democrats. Jeez. <laughs> and then that's the thing, you know, everyone outside of really conservative podcasts, America First podcasts and news outlets are going to promote this as things that it isn't. 
when we try to give you guys the real deal. And, of course, we'll be tracking Donald Trump in Nevada. We know he's got a big rally planned out there this weekend, obviously. The caucus is next Thursday night where he'll wrap up the delegates there and and take it back to Mar-a-Lago uh, in preparation for the South Carolina primary just under a month from now. And we're going to get ready to jump in with Ambassador Rick Grinnell. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak Breakfast Podcast. He's the former ambassador to Germany who definitely knows his way around a negotiated peace deal. One of our great friends, Ambassador Rick Rennell. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure to be able to sit down and catch up with you. So we're on the heels of two historic wins for President Trump. We know you're definitely a huge advocate for the president, always working hard for the America First agenda. You know, the way we've seen these things kind of play out over the course of the last few weeks, you had the media heading into Iowa saying if Donald Trump doesn't essentially win by Assad margins, and that's the dictator who runs Syria, then it's not a legitimate win for him. Doing the same thing in New Hampshire, trying to lift up the now, I guess, Democrat establishment candidate, Nikki Haley. She took over for Ron DeSantis when he bowed out of the race. And the same thing with New Hampshire. But the there there is Donald Trump scored both historic wins, one in Iowa caucus and now the New Hampshire primary, whether it be voter turnout, how many Republicans, the groundwork and operation that they set up and what they did led to President Trump's 2-0 record in this primary season heading into Nevada next week and then South Carolina a little less than a month from today. And I just kind of want to get some of your commentary on it. We know that you uh, are a great friend of the president, work very hard for the America First agenda and, and just how you see this thing shaking out right now. Well, look, I think it's over. Uh, I think it, it, the only people that don't want it to be over are those DC types because they they don't want uh, change coming to their city. They they don't want to see Donald Trump coming back, so they're they're gripping onto their power and their uh, performance and all those rules that they have in DC. But but I think look the 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 fact is is that if anybody watches this uh, closely, watches politics closely, they see that. You know, a historic win in Iowa, a historic win in New Hampshire. We're going to South Carolina next. Nikki Haley's going to lose her home state. I don't know what the media does at that point when you lose your home state by big margins. Is that like enough <laughs> evidence? I don't think so, because clearly what's happening is the Democrats are playing in the Republican primary. We see that. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that Nikki Haley has a responsibility to uh, come clean and just say, wow, yeah, I happen to be getting a bunch of money from Democrats and voters uh, that are Democrats um, trying to be spoilers, but, you know, I'm rejecting that or or I don't know. She's trying to keep it secret that all these Democrats are, are helping her. Um, that's just not, you know, cool. And yet uh, I think everybody sees it. So we're, we're confident we're moving on. 
Joe Biden is clearly in our uh, in our mirror. We we see exactly who uh, we're going to run against. It's Trump versus Biden. And, you know, today I, I tweeted out today some new, unbelievable move from this radical uh, guy inside the White House, Joe Biden, is that they're pausing, they're stopping all liquid natural gas approvals, LNG approvals. Now, what's crazy about that is the reason our economy took off is because we found that LNG is all over the United States and we were able to become an energy exporter because of LNG. And now, literally, go read, I tweeted this out, but go read what Joe Biden just issued today when when, when he said he's stopping all LNG approval. He said the reason he was stopping is for two points. One, climate change is an issue, but I, I don't understand how liquid natural, natural gas, it's called LNG, liquid natural gas, is somehow a problem for the environment. It's extremely clean. So th th that's just literally not looking at the facts. The second point he blamed for why he's doing this is MAGA Republicans. He put that in a press release from the White House, the White House itself playing partisan politics so blatantly by saying i've got to stop lng approvals because of the of climate change and maga republicans come on i mean where's the media pushing back on this radicalism you know and what the funny part is one of joe biden's favorite thing to do is fun forever wars we're seeing it with the whatever's going on in ukraine right now i feel like they're in the latter stages and and nearing peace deal territory at some point in the near future because just the optics of it look bad and it seems like out of all the bad things that house republicans have done this session of congress they're not really up for funding ukraine anymore but it seems like russia is a big exporter of lng as well and if vladimir putin is the worst dictator in the history of the galaxy is according to joe biden and jake sullivan and john kirby why would we do something that continues to empower this russian dictator by being able to export even more and cutting off and, and collecting in some of the customers of america's lng you know products well the answer to that is is that the criteria that biden is using on foreign policy has nothing to do with anything other than the radical far left that he's trying to please uh, he's gripped by them. He's controlled by them. He's a puppet of the radical left. And he, he, you know, is not even the Joe Biden of 10 years ago. No. And, and, you know, you go back and you look at some of the policies that he espoused in when he was uh, a senator. And some of those policies were kind of in the middle. Those days are gone. He's a radical now. He's completely controlled by the radical left. Uh, make make you know make it clear that the latest evidence is this lng uh stoppage this morning it's it's outrageous oh it's definitely wild and listen in addition to catering to the radical left and everything that they want done with their climate agenda and all that other stuff the erasure of the trump doctrine has been one of the things that all of the people who are controlling joe biden definitely wants to have done before they get into their head-to-head -head matchup and, and both become the nominees in a few months and it's just it, it's really disgusting to see how you know from everything with regards to that which broke this morning you know we're, we're past the deadline that joe biden set for what's going on down on the texas border now i'm sure you've probably 
probably watch that with some keen interest, Ambassador. How do you feel that whole situation? I mean, we've seen now, I believe, uh, 26 states' worth of, of National Guards uh, and governors and attorney generals have gotten behind Ken Paxton and, and Greg Abbott. But, you know, what's going on down in Shelby Park, Texas right now in Eagle Pass is something like we've never seen before in this country. Yeah, look, I think it's the number one issue is the open border. Um, you know, we, we I, I partly blame Republicans many years ago when the sanctuary cities concept uh, came forward. Uh, sanctuary cities is a nice name. Democrats named it a really kind, nice, gentle name. Who, who would be against the idea of a sanctuary city? It sounds like <laughs> birds that are uh, able to be free and protected. But the reality is, a sanctuary city is is a nice name for an evil, evil idea, which is to undermine the federal government's laws. The federal government has laws that it's illegal to enter this country without going through the proper paperwork and telling us who you are and letting us approve you. We have a huge line of people who are trying to do it the right way. But sanctuary cities is like, hey, if you break the law, come here and we're going to protect you. That concept is evil and it undermines freedom and democracy. And so we should have never allowed sanctuary cities to take hold. But now that they are, we need to gut them and we need to do everything we can to enforce our immigration laws. I, I think it's really important that conservatives and Republicans always draw a distinction between illegal immigration and immigration. We have a very generous immigration process. Roughly a million people a year get to become U.S. citizens through a legal, proper way of applying and letting us see who you are, checking your background, and making sure that we can use your skills. And, and that that's the way immigration should, should be conducted. And by the way, it's conducted like this in every other country. But uh, for some reason, the Democrats don't like it. They decided to create their own system, uh, collapse the current immigration problem. But I'm super encouraged because it's not just Republicans who are calling foul here and, and talking about the, the, the terrible tragedy of the open border. I see a lot of independents and Democrats. I mean, I see it on Twitter, even Democrats saying, oh, gosh, this isn't sustainable. We, we've got to do something. But, you know, Joe Biden is oblivious. Yep. He is completely oblivious to the fact that, uh, you know, 275,000 to 300,000 per month of illegal immigrants. Again, we welcome immigrants, but you can't jump the line and be illegal like this. And, and, and lastly, I'll finish with this. We should be calling out all of these Democrats and their media allies who interchange illegal immigrant from immigrant. They try to say Republicans are growing going after immigrants. That's not true. We're going after illegal immigration and immigrants. You're not allowed to jump the line. There's law and order that must be maintained. So when you see a media person interchange immigration with illegal immigration, don't let them get away with it. Call them out.
It's the truth. Now, with everything that's going on on Capitol Hill this session, you know, we, we've seen Mike Johnson's in a little bit over his head. He, he's got, you know, some pretty good reviews from some of his members uh, within the Republican caucus who say he's a great guy, he's constitutionally sound, he's a man of God. But when it comes to, I mean, you've been in the same room and around all of these Vipers for so many decades, Ambassador, you know, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, who's no help to Republicans, people like Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries, and then all the handlers that are working around Joe Biden right now, do you foresee anything getting done in regards to securing the border this session, or are we just going to have to wait to 2025 when Donald Trump comes back? Well, look, uh, uh, here's my opinion is, is that we've, we spent more than three years now waiting for the Biden team to secure the border. And instead they are attacking uh, all of the policies that worked and then trying to blame Republicans. The, the Biden administration doesn't need any new legislation. They don't need Republicans to do something new here this last year. Um, they're they're trying to be political and do you know some crazy ideas that then they can blame Republicans for not going along. But for three years, more than three years, they they haven't done anything. Uh, look, the the American people just need to say close the border, do your job. You don't need any more pieces of legislation. You have all of the tools that you need to to, uh, use to shut down the border. But instead, let's be clear, the Biden team is now cutting the razor wire. They want open razor wire. They want an open border. It's the Republicans and Donald Trump who are trying to keep the razor wire. Joe Biden is cutting the razor wire. So you, you can't make this any more clear as to who wants an open border and who doesn't. And that, I believe, is going to be Joe Biden's downfall along with high gas prices and high food prices. No, that's the way we're looking at it as well. And, uh, you know, really some great commentary there, Ambassador. We appreciate it. Listen, we're going to live link your social medias in the show description today, but we want to be able to direct anybody that wants to check you out, all the great stuff you're doing. Where can they find you? Uh, Twitter, Richard Grinnell, and Truth at Grinnell. Absolutely fantastic, as it always is when we sit down with the former ambassador to Germany, great friend of the show, Ambassador Rick Grinnell. Thanks for jumping on with us. Have a fantastic weekend. All the best to you guys. Thanks. Well, as it stands right now, you might be able to make out behind me. Texas's razor wire is still here inside of Shelby Park. It remains untouched. However, the Biden administration has now warned Texas it has until tomorrow to allow Biden's border agents back into Shelby Park and the ability to remove Texas's razor wire as it sees fit. A federal attorney writes to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Biden administration, ending a temporary restraining order that prohibited Biden's border agents from touching Texas razor wire in and around Shelby Park. The Biden administration goes into detail about the access it wants. It wants access to Shelby Park, also the nearby boat launch and the International Bridge. Hmm. So that was uh, Bill Malusion on the ground in, in Eagle Pass right outside of Shelby Park, the disputed territory now in regards to the Texas state and local law enforcement, in addition to the National Guard, have controlled that area for several weeks now, which led to a Supreme Court ruling that favored the Biden administration's request to be able to cut the razor wire so more migrants can come in. However, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, to this point, is holding the line and saying that he will not comply with the Supreme Court ruling. In addition, they filed an appeal. And at the same time here on Friday, we're, we're in the 10 o'clock hour now on the West Coast, we have passed through the zero barrier to which the Biden administration has 
granted Texas to turn the disputed territory back over to the Department of Homeland Security. So there's been a lot of things hypothesized in the news over the course of the last couple days regarding this. Will Joe Biden in turn decide to federally activate the Texas National Guard, therefore having them to choose whether or not they comply or defy orders from the Biden administration. And as you watch this kind of play out in real time, it, it's starting to get pretty wild. What do you think, Noah? This was a, this was a bold move by the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, and Attorney General Ken Paxson to take back over this little over two-mile stretch of land. They've double-stacked containers. They've made the razor wire 10 feet higher and told everyone on the heels of this decision that they're not going to comply with it. Well, I mean, I don't know how anybody can argue against what they're doing is working. It's, it's literally stemming the flow of people that are trying to come across right there. And in that rationale, it's keeping the people that are risking their lives by crossing the Rio Grande safer because you're not going to have any bodies, you know, rolling up on the on the shore if they come to a port of entry or they come to a bridge. And Donald Trump weighed in on this with a couple of posts on True Social yesterday. I'm going to read them both in just a bit. But before we do, Fox News showed a shred of journalistic integrity yesterday when older, uglier Megyn Kelly, Martha McGallum, had big gay admiral John Kirby on <laughs> outside the White House to kind of give some commentary on, like, now you've set a deadline, you're threatening to activate the Texas National Guards, so they have to follow your orders and not the orders of the governor who's sent them down there to kind of hold the line and when they got to the debate on whether or not the border was secure, the interview kind of went off the rails. Let's hear it. John, do we have a border? Do we have a southern go. border? Do we have a what? Do we have a southern border? Yes, ma'am. Of course we then do. Then how come people can flow across it every single day? We Hundreds and thousands very, of people over the course. 300,000 people in December. We're working very hard to try to fix that, Martha. That's why we need congressional action. That's why no, the not. president asked for additional funding, more than, you know, $6 billion in the supplemental to try to get border security enhanced. I mean, I think we, I, you and I Just are obviously not going to see uh, the, the policy solutions the same way, and I respect that. Well, I'm just that. looking for but results. Idea, I'm saying if, if idea, you're concerned about the number of people the, crossing, you're not getting results. The idea so at some point you have to say, we got to do something different. Well, the idea that we haven't looked at this and tried to work on this and trying to work in, in concert with, with Congress is just not true. We are. This is a complicated issue, and it's going to require a real team approach, not just from the executive branch, but from the legislative branch as well. It doesn't seem that fucking complicated when Texas is doing what you should be fucking doing, and it's working. Let's just blame it's Congress not complicated. Again as well. That guy is going to go down in history as the biggest piece of shit. He's I mean, we have a lot of big pieces of shit, but he's, he's one of them. Mike Collins threw out a couple heaters yesterday. He and Corey Mills, one of our favorite house reps from Florida, they're co-sponsoring the Razor Act. And <laughs> nice. this bill would ban federal government from removing Texas's or any other state's border barriers. If the Supreme Court won't allow states to defend their sovereignty in our nation, Congress has a moral imperative to act. Now, I mean, if somebody's actually trapped and caught and can't get out of it, I understand. But they should definitely write in some verbiage in there that says if they do have to cut it, you better put it back. Sure. It looks like uh, Rep. Brian Babin, Rep. Latrell, and a couple others are jumping on this. Rep. McCormick to kind of... And I want to say, I am ashamed. Whoever that forklift driver is that is lifting the fucking razor wire, fuck you. Yep. If I could take your card, I would. Ma Mary Miller, I love her. She's down on the ground today in uh, Texas. She's co-sponsoring it as well. And uh, <laughs> it's just... 
it's wild, you know, when when you see the way I, Mike had a couple really bangers yesterday. You know, I, I don't know if you saw Noah, but Peter Navarro, great friend of the show. He's he's locked up now. Who's been on house arrest forever. Well, he's appealing, but he was sentenced to four months in, in federal prison for defying uh, congressional subpoena. Essentially what Hunter Biden did, Mike Collins, the representative from Georgia, put out on his official Twitter account. This isn't his personal one. This is Rep. Mike Collins. Maybe if he did a few more lines of coke with escorts, he'd walk free. So what we tend to see since the Supreme Court ruling came on was, was some outward support for Governor Greg Abbott. And uh, last reference to Representative Mike Collins' Twitter account that I'm going to make is, this one's captioned, Choose Thin Lizzy on Spotify. Looks like the band is getting back together when you look at all the states <laughs> that made up the Confederacy that have jumped on to defend uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And it, it, it's, it's a good thing to see. This is where we need to you know, really hold the line in regards to the government is kind of out of control. There was a statement from Greg Abbott that came out yesterday. I'm going to read it before I get to Donald Trump's. The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now, reads the statement. President Biden has instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes and that mandate the detention of legal immigrants. The failure of the Biden administration to fulfill the duties imposed by Article 5, Section 4, has triggered Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which reserves the rights to the states of its own self-defense. For these reasons, I have already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. The authority is the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes or rulings to the contrary. So that's from Greg Abbott. Donald Trump, who's uh, thrown the immigration debate up on Capitol Hill, which is completely separate from this item, into a little bit of a tizzy, uh, you know, really has to uh, kind of urge House Republicans to hold the lines on this right now. And Mitt Romney, who's gone on the news over the course of the last couple nights and really talked shit about Donald Trump for urging House Republicans and those in the Senate who align with him, like J.D. Vance and Ted Cruz, Tommy Tuberville, to act... Well, Donald Trump had a little bit for Mitt Romney. You're going to like this one, Noah. In a response to the statement made by Pierre Delecto, (laughs) I haven't spoken to him, in parentheses, Mitt Romney, for years, and he knows nothing about me or my views. Fortunately, he will permanently be leaving the Senate soon, and our country will be a better place for it. That being said, we need a strong, powerful, and essentially perfect border, and unless we get that, we are better off for not making a deal, even if that pushes our country temporarily close up for a while because it will end up closing anyways with the unsustainable invasion that is now currently taking place. It's a death wish for the USA. Between our rigged elections and open borders, the country is in serious trouble. A border deal now would be another gift to the radical Democrats. They need it politically but don't care about the border. What is currently being worked on in the Senate will be meaningless in terms of the border security closure. For years, we had the safest and most secure border in the history of our country, and now we have, all caps, the worst. Probably anywhere in the world. In any event, if you don't want to have a really secure border, your only hope is to vote Trump 2024. And we'll talk about the border deal in our next edition of the podcast today. Josh Hawley made it out to the cable news last night, was given a little bit of commentary on what's going on on the U.S. southern border, the situation with Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, and all things related. He was on the Botox Queen, Laura Ingram show. Let's hear him. As we're covering this standoff at the border where the federal government is trying to stop Texas from doing just basic things to protect its state sovereignty, that's happening. Yet Republicans are grousing uh, about populists and President Trump saying no deal. 
that you can't trust these people. What the heck is going on here? Yeah, as always, it's opposite stay in, in Washington, Laura. I mean, the truth is, is the Biden administration is 100 percent responsible for what's going on at the border. And here's why. The law hasn't changed since Donald Trump was president. The only thing that's changed is Joe Biden. He wants the border open. That's why it's open. He wants the drugs pouring across. That's why they're coming into my state and every state across this country. The human trafficking, the human smuggling, the crime, all of it is because of Biden's policies and why Republicans would ever bail him out and give him more money to keep up these terrible policies, why they would ever help him open the border further or approve 50,000 more green cards every year is beyond me. I can tell you, I will not vote for any of that. Good for the senator from Missouri. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following or subscribe to the Stake for Reckless podcast. Hit that little plus button, hit the follow tab, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device in addition. On Twitter, get our Truth Social and Instagram, find our accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. Never miss out on all the great stuff that's going on here on the show or anything we've got going on in regards to our guests. I mean, we've already heard from the Republican House Chairwoman, Elise Stefanik, and Ambassador Rick Rennell today. We're getting ready to jump in with Congresswoman out of Indiana, Victoria Sparts, in just a bit. Christy Nome, who's on the ground right now in... Texas, as one of the now 26 states who have aligned with Governor Greg Abbott in defense of his and all of our sovereignty. And again, I want to remind our listenership, what's going on in Texas right now doesn't really make us like Greg Abbott any more than we already kind of don't. He's very reactionary. It seems like he always knows right when Donald Trump's about to give him the big slap, and then he acts. But as far as proactively doing stuff to make America great again, we all know he's just a big old squish, and man, he's... Very fortunate to have Ken Paxton as his attorney general. The South Dakota governor, who's going to be on the ground today in Texas, was on the news last night talking about some of this stuff on Boomer Sweat's Sean Hannity show. Let's hear from her. Absolutely. Every single one of them should join us. This is about our Constitution. This is about us standing united. The 13 original colonies would have never signed uh, the Constitution or ratified it if they didn't know that they didn't have the protections to defend themselves. And so that's really what this is all about. I'm going to be at the border tomorrow. I'm going to be there to tell the Texas National Guard to tell those Border Patrol agents, those folks that are in very difficult situations in the public administration within the state of Texas, that we're not only with them, that we have continued to be with them for the last several years. South Dakota has deployed our National Guard to support them and stand alongside them three separate times over the last several years, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, a lot of people talk and a lot of people criticize. We take action. And right now, I'm so proud of what Texas is doing to defend itself. We'll be right there beside them. We'll do everything we can to make sure this invasion stops. Some strong words right there from the South Dakota governor. You know, in addition to working alongside Donald Trump in, in many things throughout the course of his first term in office, border security was one of the ones that she was pivotal on in supporting him. She's now doing the same for Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And it, it's a big deal. You know, it, it really is to have all of those different states. I believe 15 different states have already National Guard troops on the ground, and 26 states now are standing in solidarity with the Lone Star State and the Governor Attorney General there. Last clip I've got. It's a shame if Carrie Lake didn't make it in Arizona because that would be great because they'd be doing the exact same thing, and then the states directly next to them would be forced to, to move because the flow would just be like a funnel into their areas. Yeah, now her... Uh, 
potential and eventual election to be a senator in the state of Arizona looks almost inevitable now, especially after the news that came out this week where you heard uh, one of the top men in the Republican apparatus in Arizona essentially tried to bribe Kerry Lake not to run. It's become a national news story and a huge scandal. He stepped down over the course of the last 24 hours, and we're still trying to get the former gubernatorial and current senatorial candidate on the show. As promised, here's Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Last clip of the segment and our first show. Let's check it out. Well, he's the one that's not upholding the law. This Supreme Court decision, mm-hmm. uh, as Governor Nome pointed out, there are a lot of areas where Texas is free to continue to put up wire. They don't have to allow this to happen. But it's, it's beginning to look like that Joe Biden is basically, you know, drawing a line in the sand and he's saying that, you know, the feds are going to come marching into Texas and rip down your razor wire. And Governor Abbott's saying we're just going to put it right back up again. Look, I think I support the governor. He's going to stay. I, I talked to him today for, for a little while and we talked about this very issue. And I guarantee you he's going to stand strong. He'll keep putting razor wire up. We'll keep blocking the border. We'll keep doing everything that we need to do to protect our state, despite the fact that this ruling, this Supreme Court ruling was so wrong and has such a detrimental effect on our state and our country. I would love it if Ken Paxson was potentially the next attorney general of the United States. You know, they've got a major case going on in Texas right now, Noah, where they're suing Pfizer for lying about the COVID vaccine. They should, because they fucking lied about everything. Yeah, it's hardworking man, great man for the state of Texas. Could be the governor there someday, who knows, but I wouldn't mind him being the attorney general of the U.S. and the next Trump administration as well. This is a story that's developing. We're obviously going to be tracking any of the latest developments I've just saw come across the wire. There's some new commentary from Speaker Mike Johnson regarding the border negotiations. We'll keep an eye on it in our next edition of the show. But before we do, we're getting ready to jump in with Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. But before that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's the congresswoman who represents Indiana 5, and we're always excited to be sitting down and having a good conversation with Rep. Victoria Sparks. Welcome back to the show. Well, always great to join you. Well, before we touch on any of the issues, we know that uh, the House of Representatives is out this week. You guys are in district and meeting with your constituents. We kind of want to get a little update there on how things have been out on the uh, being back home in district. Now, listen, I actually always enjoy not very many people doing person town halls, and they're tough. But I think it is a truly how you can connect with the people in the district and have an honest and open conversation. So I enjoy doing that. And we started kind of as a serious town hall in, in several parts of my district. And we had one last night and today. And I generally ask people, what is the biggest issues and what people think, you know, what we need to be working on, what is important for Indiana, five in the state of Indiana. And it's overwhelming, almost everyone brought that issue of border security. It's almost like this is, was the key issue last night, which I was more probably more like a liberal part of my district. And today I'm in more conservative part of my district. And there is no difference. You know, the, everyone's word was happening in our thousand border. 
you know, there's a lot of people at some of these events that you've been holding lately. And is one of the things that they're hopeful for in the future is that you're going to continue to be representing them in Indiana five. <laughs> I've heard that too. So, and that has makes it a little bit harder. Some of my uh, earlier decisions and people feel that we don't have, unfortunately, too many people in Washington to see, you know, that fighting for freedoms and willing to stand up. And unfortunately, Washington DC doesn't have too much lobby for the people and it breaks my heart. So make some of my decisions a little bit tough and I need to think what to do because I, I care dearly about our Republic. No, we know you do. And if it's not some of the great committee work you've done this session that we've highlighted on the show, it's it's some of the time that we get to spend with you here in our interviews. We, we really are hoping for the same thing. So let's talk about some of this border stuff that's going on right now. You know, Speaker Johnson put out a statement today that regardless of what winds up coming out of the Langford, Schumer, McConnell border, I'm air quoting, agreement, uh, he's, he's basically not even going to read it. From what he's heard, what's been leaked to the media, anywhere from like the pre-amnesty stuff all the way down to more foreign workers coming in and, and being allowed to stay here. It seems like House Republicans, especially in leadership, want absolutely nothing to do with it. We had Chairwoman Stefanik on the show uh, to open up things today, and she said there is 0% chance that the thing is going to have any life within itself within the Republican House. Are you kind of feeling the same way when you see the, the stuff that they're trying to negotiate out in the Senate? Because we all know Joe Biden wants to have amnesty as like the crown jewel of his first term in office, and, and God forbid he gets a second one, you know, they're definitely going to be ramping up the, the rhetoric on that over the course of the next few months. Listen, it is, and I told the speaker, and I told a lot of Republicans, this is number one national security issue and crisis that we're facing as a nation, and we have to hold the ground. If we're not able to secure our border and protect our country, then what are we doing in Washington, D.C.? So I think there are a lot of other issues we can work on, but this is an issue that extremely urgent, extremely important, and we have to do, do something about it. We went to the border two weeks ago with a speaker. I've been in the sector of Texas border a few years ago. It is insane. It is so dangerous and so bad what's happening. So I think Republicans must hold the ground and listen, I'm open-minded to see what they've done. You know, I'm open-minded to find some, you know, things that maybe they've done good, but ultimately they've have to start working with the House and I hope people, our speaker will stand up, you know, for, to the Senate on this situation. Yeah, it definitely seems to be the hill that Mike Johnson wants to die on, and that is fighting for some kind of border security and not just getting the legislation passed, but getting some guarantees from the Biden White House that he's going to force Alejandro Mayorkas, if he makes it through his impeachment vote, uh, to be able to enforce it because we all know he's been very reluctant to be nice up until this point. Now, that being said, there is pretty much going to be a date set in the very immediate future for the end of the month uh, to have an impeachment hearing for Alejandro Mayorkas. Are you optimistic that we, I mean, listen, everything from the mainstream media to the reports that DHS puts out and then his time and time again that he's been in committee, everybody knows the job that he hasn't done. Do you think this impeachment has some life? Well, I think, you know, listen, I'm glad that we're moving with some of this impeachment. We've done a lot of talking, but this is a serious issues. And I think we need to put some of the executives, their feet to the fire, you know, and if they believe that they get getting bad orders from, from administration, then maybe you should resign or you become part of this, you know, and you become responsible. From, it's a dereliction of duty 
not to protect the country and protect the border. But I agree, we have to give it tools and mechanisms also to in enforcement, enforce enforcement on that border. We can have the best laws, but unfortunately, if we have administration not want to do it, we don't even need to change laws if you have the right administration. We'll have to put some screens, make sure that we have some way to enforce some of these laws and with this administration. And this is going to be a big fight because they want to do messaging, they have a different agenda, and they're not taken seriously. So I hope these impeachments will move forward sooner than later. I, I mean, Homeland Security is doing investigations. I really think that should come, you know, to judiciary too, because really that is a committee should be doing that. And even if they think to bring put more pressure on the Senate, I think procedurally it needs to come to judiciary for a vote too. And I'm going to look at all the things they've done. We have to move forward. And the same as impeachment of President Biden. We have to move these issues forward because late in the year, we've been doing politicking, and these are very serious issues. Oh, they certainly are. I think, you know, between uh, the, the investigation into President Biden and then you, you want to talk about Alejandro Mayorkas, I mean, there's a lot of there there. So we're hoping that House Republicans are moving quick on this, especially, you know, you don't optically want it to look bad uh, heading closer and closer to the presidential uh, primary season that we're in right now and then the general election cycle after that. Congresswoman, last thing I want to touch with you on, you know, you always straight shoot it with us here on the show. That's one of the reasons we always invite you on, because you'll cut right through the BS and give us what the exact there there is. And, and we really appreciate that. But, and we're talking about the budgetary matters now. You know, not a lot of people were very happy with the last continuing resolution. But at the end of the day, it's, unfortunately, it's the way the government's been funded for the greater part of the last couple of decades. You know, this is something that I think is going to take a, a lot more than what people are putting into it right now to have that generational shift towards single subject appropriation bills and, and funding the government in the correct manner. But when you look towards the end of this session of Congress before the presidential election, do you see much change coming or are we just going to try to continue to in small amounts, trim the fat and, and, and scale back as much wasteful spending as we can while we move forward to hopefully retaining power in the house. And then with a Republican president, hopefully incoming in 2025, getting, you know, all three branches of government working the way they're supposed to be again. Listen, I'm kind of, I'll be honest with you, you know, like every Congress would say it's going to be some bad alignment of the stars. Let's wait for this and let's wait for this and keep punning this issue more and more. Again, I think, you know, we have to make some incremental positive change this Congress too. We cannot always say, oh, well, let's just do nothing and keep increasing spending. Keep not punning the issues of border security. Keep not really fighting some of the fights on authorization. I actually once was very upset that we abandoned. We have some of these departments not authorized like FBI, DOJ for decades. They don't care about our lattice as long as they get money. And if we don't have 12 separate appropriations, which I fought with one of my colleagues, you know, to have that rule and force on the leadership to start moving this issue, then we're not talking about seriously how we're going to hold the other branch accountable and we can we have control of the house we definitely don't control the senate you know we have to find some incremental positive change but we need to move in the right direction not just continue spending and do nancy pelosi spending you know that was a post-covid and inflated we cannot do that and it's not an excuse for us to say oh we yeah we definitely cannot get everything we want but we have to have something you know and otherwise we're not worsened to have a majority in the house
Oh, that's the honestly uh, truth right there, and that's why we asked you because we know you were going to straight shoot it. Congresswoman, this has been awesome catching up with you today. Always fantastic when you could join us on the show. We're hoping that you're going to be joining us on the show for a very, very, very long time to come, but we'll leave it at that. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you on social media, check out all the great work you've done in district. After next week when you're back up on Capitol Hill, where can they find you? Okay. Well, we, you can have it and then the is building and I would, you know, love for people to stop by and get involved. And I truly believe, I want to, to encourage a lot of Americans. We know that Washington, D.C. is now not representing, you know, the American people, but the power of our republic, that each individual has an ability to make an impact. So don't underestimate your power as an individual. Put pressure on your politicians, because if you don't, then they will be governed by big special interest groups, big money and corruption. But they worry about the people when people get upset. So please get engaged. Go to your Congress people and give them a hard time, because we have known have lobby for the people in Washington to see where the only lobby. And if my our you know, my colleagues and Congress is not willing to stand up. We're going to fail and we cannot fail this republic. Too many people die for freedom. So I encourage you to please be engaged and really start be more vocal and be, you know, put pressure on your representatives, too. Uh, we like that narrative here. We like the narrative that you brought on the show today. This is the Congresswoman who's representing India, Anna Five. If you don't know by now, she's fighting for all the American people. Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you. Guys, we're coming back with another all new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back, relax, and let us continue to change the way you consume your news.